Hey friends, it's Jay here with your look at the astrology of October 2023. And ooh wee, do we have a hot one. October looks radically different than September. In general, there's just more happening. In September, there were 16 major aspects or planetary motions, while in October, there are 26. We've got four planets on the move, with Mercury changing signs twice, really gaining speed as it enters Libra, finally leaving Virgo after that two-month extended stay, and Venus finally leaving Leo behind after its four-month transit there, which included that retrograde. It'll finally be moving on to Virgo. So that in and of itself, just those two planets finally entering new ground in new signs is really going to shift the energy. Now, speaking of retrogrades, Pluto will finish up its own retrograde for the year and move direct in Capricorn once more. And we're also going to be navigating eclipses and eclipse season this October. So it's definitely not a dull time. There's a little something for everyone, as they say. And, you know, the energy is leaning a little towards the crisp and crunchy. And I think we're going to need to be extra gentle with ourselves and schedule in more time for rest whenever possible. There are definitely some bright spots. And I should say, you know, like if you're someone that was not enjoying the slower, more same, same pace of September, this shift might be more exciting for you. And, you know, I did speak with some people that still seem to have a relatively busy September, despite the planetary action being somewhat limited. And I think that might have been in part to so much of September uh, being within Virgo season and just the inherent mutability of that time. I mean, I myself really noticed the ups and downs and ebbs and flows of Virgo season this year. And there was also this energy of like just kind of trying to start getting back on track in September. And so maybe October's busyness is just what brings a chance to find some better balance and sustain a little bit of momentum. However, I did mention we are entering eclipse season. So Mileage is definitely going to vary. Eclipse season tends to be a little abnormal, but it hits people differently, like depending on their chart. So all I can do here is translate what I see, and then we just have to live it and experience it and go from there. But before we get any further into October, I wanted to give you all a heads up that this is probably going to be my last episode before Scorpio season. I think I've finally figured out what I want my community membership offering to look like. So I'm going to take some time to work on getting that ready. Make sure you're following me over on Instagram because I do intend to check in over there. And I'm on threads now as well. I'm actually really enjoying threads and I'm posting different content there. So it's worth kind of following me in both places if you're so inclined. Okay, back to October. I had originally intended to cover this month planet by planet because there's so much going on, but, you know, also because there's so much going on, I decided to narrow things down to 
the most important pieces, at least, you know, in my opinion, um, so that we don't start feeling overwhelmed by all of the planetary action in October. So yeah, here's a breakdown of what I think is going to be the most important astrology of October. We're going to kick things off with eclipse season, of course. Now, technically, eclipse season started kind of right after the full moon in Aries at the end of September, but we are fully in it for October, and it will last through until November 4th. Now, what is eclipse season? So this just means that the sun is within 18 degrees of either the north node of the moon or the south node of the moon. And in this case, it's the south node that the sun is within that proximity to, of, with. The sun is close to the south node. (laughs) And that tends to coincide with energies of, uh, you know, things being a little destabilizing, a little unsettled, a little topsy-turvy. Eclipse season is a time when things tend to get churned up. The dust is unsettled. The waters are muddied. Eclipses and eclipse season mark a break in the normal pattern for the sun and the moon. You know, they're a deviation in the regularly scheduled program. They throw a wild card into the mix. You know, they shake up that celestial routine and it can correspond with feelings of overstimulation, agitation, um, just a general sense that things feel out of place and out of order. The nodes of the moon intensify and stir things up for any planet or luminary that comes into close contact with them. The nodes typically move in a retrograde motion, like that's the motion that's normal for them. Uh, but they're they're wobbly, like they're wobbling back and forth between retrograde and direct motion. So hopefully that sort of more like astronomical look can help to explain why they bring that topsy-turvy, destabilizing quality to the cosmos. And before I move on, I want to make it really clear that I can often slip into language of making it sound like whatever is happening in the sky is causing what's happening on Earth. And I really don't mean to do that. I am trying to get myself out of that habit. So please bear with me as I as I work on that. I really do believe as above, so below. I really do believe there is a connection. But I don't know that, you know, because Mercury is retrograde, it causes technology to malfunction. I think that we just see these patterns where those things happen to coincide. And I guess you could call that a a causation, but I, I don't necessarily see it that way. I think it's a mirroring. I think astrology can help us to bring a greater understanding, a greater insight into why we might be moving through a certain thing. I'm getting too far into philosophy, but I just wanted to make that especially clear with eclipse season because I sort of am exhausted of people blaming the moon for shit. (laughs) And so I just wanted to be clear that like we shouldn't move into eclipse season with the mindset of, oh my God, everything's going to get fucked up, but rather, okay, here's the lessons that I might be presented with. Here are the bumps and rough patches and like, 
knowing that, how can I move through this time and space with my head on my shoulders a little more tight or whatever? I hope that makes sense. Please feel free to send me a DM at Jasmine's Astrology. Send me an email, j at jasminesastrology.com. Comment below. Let's talk about it. Okay. So the nodes intensifying planets and, and luminaries that they come into contact with. And then so the sun, the central figure in our solar system and in the astrology that we practice, when that figure gets so close to that destabilizing energy, the zodiac season itself takes on the bumpy quality. And in some cases, there does seem to be a very liminal in-between space in, you know, that sort of arises between eclipses when we might experience this feeling of like things that are normally out of reach are suddenly accessible and things that are usually accessible are becoming temporarily out of reach. It's more of that out of order, unstable energy kind of showing up. And again, if you think about what's actually happening astronomically with the sun, moon, and earth during eclipse, during an eclipse, it does make some sense. So during a solar eclipse, the moon comes between the earth and the sun. And during a lunar eclipse, the earth comes between the moon and the sun. In both cases, a, a, a source of light becomes blocked, taking away the familiarity of one pattern while presenting us with another. Now, a big player in this eclipse season is Venus. Venus is going to rule over both eclipses, which isn't usually the case. Like usually we have two planets involved in eclipse rulership, but this time we have eclipses in Libra and Taurus. So it's all Venus, baby. And that really only emphasizes Venus's importance in 2023 overall, at least the sort of final, the, the second half of 2023. Now, Mars will technically take over for like the last two weeks of eclipse season, just in terms of rulership over the sun. So once the sun moves into Scorpio, but Venus will nevertheless remain important because it will still be ruling over that second eclipse. And so before we move on to each eclipse individually, I do want to talk about what Venus will be up to during all of this, because its placement is going to have significant importance. So about a week into eclipse season, Venus is finally going to bid adieu to Leo after that four-month transit and head into Virgo. And this is the sign of Venus's fall. Now, I've talked about fall placements before on the show, but to quickly reiterate, this is an area of the zodiac where Venus has a tougher time expressing its full, pure self. Planets in fall are under-resourced. They experience delays and inconsistencies in their expression. Planets in fall are kind of in like a constant state of recovery, making it hard for them to fully perform, which is sort of that much more interesting after a Venus retrograde, because until the day before Venus moves into Virgo, it's still revisiting that same ground in Leo and recovering its speed, um, recovering steps that it had already taken. And I know I've said this before about other Venus-related happenings, but this also really does feel, you know, this eclipse season and Venus in Virgo feels like another extension of that retrograde transit. And I mean, how could it not be, right? Like, it's not like Venus finishes its time in Leo and then washes its hands clean. That's it. 
been there, done that. Like stories are continuous, even when certain chapters or volumes are complete. Or even when a book is complete, it lives on in our imagination in some ways. So stories continue. Now, I really want to give credit to someone I follow on threads who said, this eclipse will begin to illuminate progress and endings. And that was from stars underscore in underscore alignment on threads. And I think that's so bang on. Like eclipses can be these times of great beginnings and great endings they they are new and full moons, right? Just kind of supercharged because of the nodes. So there's something here about the combination of Venus in Virgo, a sign that is highly detail-oriented and basically a fucking magician with routines and organization. And then the eclipses, you know, adding those together, that really speaks to taking the lessons and revelations from the Venus retrograde and integrating them, making them somehow more tangible and part of our daily lives. And that's really like the illumination of the progress. Venus in Virgo is Venus through the lens of Mercury. So we're bringing a detail and organization to our pleasure and leisure, which means it can be a great transit for planning that time off or for creating better routines around self-care and relationships. Venus and Virgo can really offer a chance to reconnect with rituals and routines that are grounding and help you feel more embodied. But all of that relative loveliness aside, Venus is nevertheless in fall, and any planet in fall can help us to become aware of something that's not as stable or consistent as we might like. So again, it's not that Venus being in fall is going to cause problems in relationships, but rather it's a mirror for us to see like, ah, that's where that thing was unstable or out of place. And I think eclipses can offer a much similar medicine in their own chaotic way. With Venus and Virgo, we might be better able to see the inconsistencies and be able to move towards making improvements in the areas we find those inconsistencies which is lovely, but we'll also want to anticipate some level of that inconsistency and fluctuation for this entire season. You know, the regular rules of pleasure, leisure, and relationships do not apply. The ways that we are used to creating and maintaining bonds won't be as applicable for the time being. There might be some irregular and atypical events happening within relationships. So Depending on how the Venus retrograde in Leo shook out for you, it could really be same, same, but different. Okay, so let's talk about this solar eclipse in Libra happening on October 14th at 21 degrees of Libra. So again, a solar eclipse is technically also a new moon, but it's not quite the same. The sun and moon are still meeting at that same degree in the zodiac, but they're also contending with a node. And in this case, It's within three degrees of the south node, and that three-degree range makes things pretty intense. And it also flips the script a little bit on our typical new moon keywords and vibes because the south node is actually a point of release and letting go and emptying out. It's a point of endings. So it's a new moon where we have to let go of some part of the past or 
even some part of ourselves, some part of our relationships, um, some part of our values, our identity, just thinking about Venusian themes here, uh, in order to move on to the future. And just to be clear, even though I'm relating this somewhat to a new moon, I I want to say that I don't personally advise doing any of the regular new moon intention setting or planning on an eclipse because, you know, there's just that inherent instability and inconsistency. And so here's where we find some of that Venus retrograde extending into other astrology happenings because this eclipse really reads like the cleansing, detoxing, and purging of old relationship patterns and habits. It is letting go of people-pleasing tendencies and the urge to overcompromise in order to make someone else happy at our expense. It speaks to recognizing the relationships and collaborations that drain and deplete us and to allowing those to come to an end or at least reworking them in some way so that they no longer drain and deplete us. Now we can work with this cleansing energy by purposefully decluttering and getting rid of excess stuff. Maybe it's something Venusian like clearing out a closet or changing up the aesthetic and decor of a room, like doing a, a deep clean somewhere and redecorating. Now those might feel like superficial things, but the release of physical objects can often lead to a lightening of the emotional weight that we're carrying. And I don't know, like I'm also thinking in this moment, like choosing to hide likes on social media, like releasing ourselves from the need to have those likes or something like that. Like Libran energy, Venusian energy would be very much, especially Libran energy, just wanting to harmonize and balance those scales, looking for the social nicety. Yeah, something about likes here for sure. This solar eclipse is also within four degrees of Mercury, which might give it a very communicative element. Okay, so maybe that's it with the social media bringing the Mercury piece in. Okay, all right. I'm thinking on the spot here, guys. Um, but it also, you know, might give it a very communicative element where we want to give voice to whatever is going on for us during this eclipse. We want to talk about what's happening, or it might just be really lighting up our mental realm, our mental energy, like our minds might feel a little bit buzzy. Um, there's definitely some level of mercurial energy in the mix here. And I'm actually realizing in this moment that at the time of the eclipse, and for the period when the moon is in Libra this month, which will be from the 12th to the 15th, Venus will be responsible for the moon, the sun, Mercury, and the south node all in Libra, as well as Jupiter and Uranus over in Taurus. And Venus must be this host to all of these planets from its place of fall. And that's just giving me kind of tired vibes. Like it's a lot to be in charge of when you're not at your best. That's a lot to keep track of. And just in general, I think that means that all those areas of our lives, the ones that are ruled by the moon, the sun, Mercury, and Jupiter are all going to be impacted in some way by the fact that their ruler is currently navigating some challenging territory. Okay, back to the solar eclipse. One last thing I wanted to bring up and 
you know, as I mentioned, at a solar eclipse, the moon comes between the sun and the earth. And that makes me wonder about whether we're coming into some kind of realization about the pedestals that we put people on, the power that we give to people, you know, the sun being this symbol of leadership, and then us on earth being unable to witness the sun during this time. Something to think about, perhaps. Okay, let's move on to the lunar eclipse in Taurus, which is happening on October 28th at five degrees of Taurus. This is our final eclipse in the Taurus Scorpio axis for another like eight ish years. So it really brings that eclipse story to a close for now. And we did have another ending to this sort of ongoing story a little earlier this year when we had the final eclipse in Scorpio. But this Taurus eclipse is now kind of like the the last say, the final word for now. So again, a lunar eclipse is technically a full moon with the sun and moon in opposing signs. And so we might still experience those themes of culmination points, greater illumination, and even release. However, it's the north node that's getting activated during this eclipse. And the north node is this point of craving, hunger, insatiability, accumulation, excess, more, more, more. It points us in a direction that we might need to move towards um, by showing us what's currently lacking, what's currently drawing our attention. You know, the nodes are points of extremes, that south node really pulling away, that north node really pulling towards And the North Node can coincide with these like deep longings and cravings for things that we realize like, oh, this is this is an area of life that is out of balance for me. You know, there's something that I'm not giving enough attention or time to and the pendulum needs to swing towards that area of lack a little more. So in a way, this eclipse and the eclipse series ends in a way of not necessarily a new beginning, but possibly with a new understanding around what to seek out next. In general, this eclipse feels like a little bit of a mixed bag that I'll be honest, I I really don't know exactly how it's all going to shake out because there are some factors that make it feel just as unpredictable as most eclipses and then other factors that kind of seem like they'll be able to soften everything. So firstly, it's an out-of-sign eclipse because the North Node is actually in Aries, but the Sun and Moon remain within that 18-degree range of a node at the time of the full moon, so it still counts as an eclipse. But it would be much more intense if the node was in Taurus while we were having this full moon, just like it was, you know, last year. But it being out-of-sign does seem to decrease the intensity of it all. And the moon is also exalted in Taurus. Now, exaltation is the counterpart to being in fall. So planets in exaltation are well-resourced and have like a certain VIP access almost. So that might offer some stability amongst the chaos, like perhaps a little bit of like easing of tensions. And the moon is also quite close to and moving towards Jupiter at the time of the eclipse, 
which could suggest some level of support and encouragement that's being provided. Now, I guess the opposite or the sort of devil's advocate there would be like moon and Jupiter is usually very nice. It might get ruined by the eclipse. I mean, we get a moon Jupiter conjunction every month, so not to worry. And bottom line, like it's still an eclipse and Venus is still ruling over the eclipse from that unfavorable condition in Virgo. And we can't ignore the other astrology that's happening on the same day across the same Taurus-Scorpio axis, which I feel is going to emphasize and amplify the volume of this eclipse. Because on the same day, we have Mars in Scorpio opposing Jupiter in Taurus, as well as Mercury in Scorpio opposing Jupiter in Taurus, which means that Mercury and Mars are also super close in Scorpio. And Jupiter oppositions tend to correspond with a very go big or go home energy. They're loud. There's a vibe of overdoing it, of overextending ourselves. There's such an optimism and confidence with Jupiter oppositions that we really feel, well, with Jupiter in general, that we feel ready to stretch outside the comfort zone. And that can make for some really great growth or for spreading ourselves too thin. And when you add in the activation of the North Node, that mix certainly reads like an overindulgence to me. And Mercury-Mars coming together could point towards, you know, overly sharp or cutting words, being a little snappy, being a little harsh. I'm going to talk more about this aspect in just a little bit, so we'll put a pin in that for now. But this whole day really just feels like a bit of a handful. Uh, maybe it's just super energizing and pushes us in a direction we haven't been able to push ourselves yet for whatever reason. But my humble advice would be to know your limit, play within it as the like Ontario Gambling Association or whatever the Ontario Lottery would say, know your limit, play within it. Uh, we don't have to play small, but we don't have to get carried away either. With Mars in the mix, I'm always a little concerned about injury from like impulsive action. So I would say let's cautiously throw caution to the wind because Mars-Jupiter oppositions also only happen about every two years. So we don't want to pass up the opportunity to do something really brave and really bold and, you know, something that really helps us to stretch ourselves. So now we're going to talk more about the South Node, because not only will the sun and the moon make significant contact with the South Node, so will Mars and Mercury as they move through Libra. Venus will as well, but not for a little while, not in this same time period. And those, you know, three major conjunctions means a lot of South Node activity, a lot of South Node energy in the mix. So we've already discussed how the South Node represents the energy of emptying out, decluttering, releasing. It can also be depleting and draining. And it can also have quite a spiritual energy. It tends to symbolize events or, or relate, connect to events where we let go of material objects and move away from material success towards something deeper, towards something more spiritual, towards something less tangible. 
So the Libra season portion of October might be bringing up a lot in terms of cleansing and clearing and saying goodbye to old ways and habits and patterns. And letting go of anything is an energetic endeavor. Like as good as it might feel to cut ties or drop the weight of something, it's still an energetic process for the body, the mind, the spirit. And I think this is where some of that depletion comes in with the south node. So I feel like it'll be helpful to schedule in a lot of rest or space for replenishing practices and to even prepare for a navigating of grief and mourning of those things that we're called to leave behind. That last piece is something I've been thinking about a lot lately, like how change is so intrinsically linked with grief and mourning and how the whole process requires and deserves witnessing and proper time to move through your body. Back to that idea for making space for rest, even the act of decluttering or clearing out your schedule as much as possible is an act of emptying out. So let's look briefly at each of these specific conjunctions. So the first one will be with Mars on October 4th. This could correspond with, you know, releasing anger, letting go of frustrations, cutting ties with old wounds. You know, what relationships and pursuits tend to churn up a lot of frustration and anger for us? Are we carrying unnecessary baggage from those kinds of connections? Those would be interesting things to think about with Mars in Libra. And Mars with the South Node is also very much about like getting spiritual about our anger because anger isn't totally useless. Anger can be really useful. What can our anger tell us about what's happening on a deeper level? You know, like anger is usually kind of clouding something or protecting something else, at least in my experience. With Mars and Libra, we might want to consider like, are we feeling really sad by all the injustice and inequality happening around us constantly? Or maybe are we feeling resentment or disrespect within a relationship? Are we feeling exhausted by an imbalance of sorts? It'll be really worth looking beyond the surface of our anger, especially from that full moon in Aries onto this conjunction and in about, you know, the three, three to five days after October 4th. On October 18th, the sun will conjunct the south node, and this will actually mark the halfway point of eclipse season. And this conjunction can bring up some existential stuff, questions about life, meaning, purpose, fulfillment, and it might be our call to redefine what purpose, meaning, and fulfillment even looks like for each of us. It's probably changed. Have we acknowledged that? Are we upholding certain meanings and living out a purpose that's actually for someone else? Like we're doing it for someone else because we think that that's the best thing to do for that relationship? Is that the only thing holding that relationship together? And Sun with the South Node in Libra, I know I've mentioned this at some point before, but this is also definitely about letting go of people-pleasing tendencies, letting go of that 
sort of like urge to merge with the other and like kind of reclaiming a little bit of that individuality. And through this process, there could be a drain on our vitality. You know, if you think of the sun, the thing that brings warmth and life and growth and vitality to all of us living beings here on earth, when it hits that point of depletion, then it, you know, we might just feel generally drained in our energy. Then the very next day on the 19th, Mercury will also conjunct the south node. And I wonder if after all of this south node activity, because by this point we would have had the Mars conjunction, the solar eclipse that was so near the south node, and the sun conjunct the south node, maybe this is a day when our brains are just like a little fried. You know, there's been a lot of mental activity within the air realm of Libra, and we might just be feeling a little overstimulated. I think journaling will probably be really helpful or talking with somebody that you trust um, about what's going on, if you're ready to share, of course. Um, The point really is to just like empty out the brain, purge the brain. And this conjunction could also continue the themes of letting go and detoxing in the form of outdated ideas and thoughts and thought processes and the ways that we connect with others in our relationships and collaborations. It could also be really good for turning our attention and our curiosity towards, you know, like reading about spirituality or mystical pursuits or philosophy, um, listening to podcasts that kind of light up that part of us. All in all, less is always more with the South Node. All right, now we're going to talk about Mars because for most of October, Mars is going to be at home in Scorpio and Mars has not been at home in Scorpio since 2021. That's normal. Mars will not transit through every sign every year, but it's always good uh, to make note of when a planet goes into its domicile. This is a nice boost for our Aries and Scorpio houses. It offers some stability and consistency to the rhythms of those houses and to all things in life ruled by Mars. And coming out of that detriment position in Libra and into rulership is a very nice upgrade for Mars for sure. This is a very strategic and specific version of Mars that is much more direct and better at making decisions and taking focused action than it was while in Libra. It's a very focused and driven type of Mars. We can really tuck into a particular goal and make a lot of progress. Scorpio is a place where Mars is ready to take on new challenges and set new goals. It's very determined here and fairly competitive. But I think that competitive nature can be especially useful when we use it to motivate ourselves because Mars in Scorpio knows the power of pushing yourself a little harder each day and the improvements that that can bring. Now, we definitely want to watch from going overboard and totally burning ourselves out, especially with all of the South Node energy in the mix. But with Scorpio being a fixed sign, There is an energy here of putting a routine, a plan of action into place that will endure for some time. If Mars was in Aries at this time, I would definitely be saying there's way more potential for 
burnout and going into overdrive because of that more impulsive, fiery energy of Aries. But with Scorpio being water and fixed, it's a much slower and like cooler version of Mars. And I don't mean like cool, like what a hip cat, although I'm always going to prefer planets in Scorpio, just saying. Um, But I do mean like temperature. It's a little cooler than in Mars. And Scorpio is also a very private sign. It tends to kind of keep things close to the chest. And with Mars there, I keep getting this word of like stealth. And I don't mean sneaky, although I guess it definitely could be. But I just mean like moving in the shadows, which, you know, still kind of sounds sneaky. But I mean like working behind the scenes. I mean like work and progress that goes kind of unnoticed, unseen in the moment, in the present moment. Like you're just making a lot of progress alone or yeah, working behind the scenes in some capacity. Sometimes Mars and Scorpio, Scorpio planets in general, don't necessarily want to share all of their bits and pieces of progress. They want to just do it. And a really kind of interesting point in time for Mars this year is uh, from October 12th to 21st. Mars will be at peak Mars because it's going to, in that time period, have four levels of dignity. And so I already mentioned like Mars is at home in Scorpio. It's the ruler of Scorpio. It's also got a kind of rulership known as triplicity rulership. So this has to do with the elements of the zodiac signs. And Mars has a kind of rulership within water signs. So it's in domicile. It's in triplicity. Now, it's also got, Mars also has a decan in Scorpio. You guys have heard me talk about decans before. You've heard me relate them to tarot cards. Decans are these like 10 degree um, units within each zodiac sign. And Mars has a decan in Scorpio from zero degrees to nine degrees. And then it's also going to be in its own terms or bounds, as some people might know it. And just like the decans is another way of dividing each zodiac sign into further sections, so are the terms. Now, unfortunately, these are not as equally distributed. So Mars doesn't own, like, it's not uh, three units of 10 degrees each or three sections of 10 degrees each. There are five sections of terms for each zodiac sign, and they're all over the place in terms of how many degrees they are. And Mars and Scorpio rules from zero degrees of six degrees. That's that's its set of terms within Scorpio. So that's a lot, I know, and I'm sorry to get super technical, but the takeaway here is that from October 12th to the 21st, Mars will have those four levels of rulership while in Scorpio. So in general, Mars in Scorpio is a really great time for taking action on our Scorpio house topics. And like I said, Mars hasn't been here since uh, I think it was late 2021, like November, December. So the Scorpio house is getting infused with a nice boost of Mars motivation and drive that it hasn't felt in quite some time. Um, So it's really great to make new goals, set some challenges for yourself in this area of life, and then even better if you can get them underway during that 12, during that period of October 12th to 21st, and maybe take a few actions as well. We want to be cautious. The Scorpio, or excuse me, the Libra eclipse is in there. There's other South Node stuff happening, but 
good for Mars stuff. Now, one final thing about Mars and Scorpio is the conjunction it's going to form with Mercury the day after the lunar eclipse. And the reason this is notable to me is because Mercury and Mars were very close to a conjunction back when they were both in Virgo. They stayed within three to four degrees of each other for just like shy of two weeks right in the middle of August. But because of Mercury's retrograde, it never quite caught up to Mars. And so now that it has, it feels like something is finally clicking into place after several weeks of trying to figure it all out, you know, to bring all of the pieces together to figure out the right words or the right information that would support the action. You know, after all that time, the decision finally gets made, things are put into motion, and then all of a sudden, things are happening fast because this combo can be very productive in that way. Mars and Mercury make for a sharpness to the mind that maybe helps us to find the right words to give voice to a challenge we've been facing, or maybe we find the courage to say something that really needs to be said. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out for sure. And then finally, we're going to talk about a thing that I don't really know what to call it, except for just a pattern that I noticed. And that is that from October 8th and onwards, both of our benefic planets, Venus and Jupiter, will be in Earth signs. And then from October 12th and onwards, both of our malefics, Mars and Saturn, will be in water signs. Two different Earth signs for Venus and Jupiter, two different water signs for Saturn and Mars. Now this pattern or this happening, or I'm not sure what to call it really, it's not that it doesn't happen, but it does seem to be kind of a rare combination. Like I did, I did some digging through, you know, the ephemeris and unless I totally missed something, I couldn't find both malefics in water signs and both benefics in earth signs before 2003. So 20 years ago. Now we've had some other combinations like back in 2016, we had the benefics in air signs and the malefics in fire signs. And in 2013, we had the malefics again in water signs, but the benefics in air signs. So again, it's not as though this like doubling up never happens, but it just kind of feels noteworthy that it's happening this month with, you know, amidst all the other planetary activations and in a combo that we haven't seen in quite some time. Now, what this means, I honestly don't fully know. It's one of those things that I just noticed when I was looking at the movements of the planets for October. And I love, I love to see something like that, that just makes me go like, huh, why is that happening at the same time as all of this? Or, or what could that mean that that's happening? And wanting to bring it up and present it as a way of saying like, this is a thing we should look out for and take into account when, you know, we're living the astrology and making note of everything that happens. But yeah, I mean, these elements are definitely getting some kind of focus or emphasis. I mean, maybe it won't mean anything at all unless it's like triggering your chart in a meaningful way. I guess I could say it does feel like slow and measured growth, you know, water and earth making mud and soil and a foundation and signs that are in the same element form the like supportive and encouraging trine aspect. So 
The energy is flowing really easily between Mars and Saturn and between Venus and Jupiter. It's supportive. It's generative. And I guess like with the malefics in the water signs, maybe our emotions are going to feel a little heavy, a little turbulent, a little overwhelming. And when we get into a space where things feel too heavy, maybe the benefics being an earth sign is a clue that where we can find some support and uplift is coming back to the physical body and, you know, moving our emotions through, not letting them get stuck or stagnant somewhere, like, you know, transmuting them by using our hands to do something or, you know, using our voice to talk about it or or scream it out or, you know, but yeah, coming back to the body, coming back to grounding practices and finding the, yeah, that support from the benefics. So again, don't totally know how that's all going to play out. We're going to have to wait and see. We're going to have to live the astrology and let it go from there. So that's going to wrap things up for this episode. I hope it was clear and helpful and makes you feel prepared, not scared for October. Like save the spooky vibes for Halloween. Am I right? Now, as I mentioned, I will be away from this space until Scorpio season. So that's towards the end of October. But I have every intention of checking in on Instagram and threads. So make sure you're following me at Jasmine's Astrology. And you can always check out my website for consultations and other offerings, jasminesastrology.com. And thank you so much for listening, my stellar companions. I'm so grateful to share these astro thoughts and insights with all of you. It's such a pleasure. And until we meet again for Scorpio season, I'll catch you in the cosmos.